Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Kate, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop. And this is a series, it's a comprehensive series on supportive care. And today's program is entitled Managing Cancer Pain, What You Need to Know. And so that's the focus. And this is part three. So this is um, the, the last uh, program in the series um, and, and a very important one, actually, and probably one of the most important ones for anyone on the call who either has, is having pain right now, has ever had pain, or is concerned about having pain. Um, I think we're going to try to address your concerns. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it's because of that collaboration we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. We have over 733 participants on the call, and you come from all over the United States primarily all over from different regions and parts of this country. But we also do have international participants from Canada, Ireland, Morocco, Mexico, Spain, the United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So you really are coming from all over the world, and uh, it's a credit to each of you that you're on the call today. Today's um, program, this particular workshop, was made possible by Teva Pharmaceuticals. However, this entire series has been made possible by Teva Pharmaceuticals and an educational donation provided by EMGen. And I really want to thank them for their collaboration in making this entire series possible. I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to all the materials you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, there is information about our speakers and the topics they'll be addressing and all of the different collaborating organizations as a resource to each of you. Um, those collaborating organizations, um, you can contact them for help, in addition to calling Cancer Care for help as well. There also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you each at the end of today's program to complete that evaluation form. You are really the best people to tell us the programs that you want us to offer and the topics in particular you'd like us to offer. Uh, this particular series, today's program included, is one that many of you have said we, you know, have recommended that we offer a, a program on this on, on this topic, and so um, please tell us what you'd like us to offer. And we're at the beginning of a new year, 2014, and we're planning many programs. And we listen very carefully to the recommendations and to your evaluations. So um, tell us what you want, and we'll try very hard to do it. Now, we have wonderful speakers today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Nessa Coyle, and Dr. Coyle is consultant in oncology, pain, and palliative care. And Dr. Coyle is going to address an overview of acute, chronic, and breakthrough pain, words to describe cancer pain to your healthcare team, and medications to treat cancer pain. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Coyle. Thank you very much, Carolyn, and I'm very glad to be part of this program. Um, Pain is, is an almost universal experience, and really it's designed as an alert system in the body that, that lets you know that something is wrong or something needs attention. And these pain impulses are transmitted from various parts of the body to the brain where they're perceived as pain. We give pain meaning, and the meaning can affect the way we respond to the pain stimulus and indeed to the severity of the pain. So understanding how we view the pain, the meaning of the pain is really important. Chronic pain really serves no useful purpose and needs to be controlled. When you look at untreated pain, and those of you who are experiencing pain which has been difficult to treat, it can really interfere with your ability to sleep, to interact with family and friends, to eat, to move around, and really your overall quality of life. It, always, it also causes stress to the body, so it really needs to be controlled. Pain management is recognized to be so important that most hospitals now have made it the fifth vital sign after uh, temperature, pulse, respiration, and blood pressure. And teams that go into accredit uh, hospitals use the evidence of pain assessment as one measurement of, of good care. So it's extremely important. When you look at the causes of pain uh, in cancer, it can be caused by the disease, such as a, a tumor pressing on pain-sensitive structures, or the actual treatment, uh, for example, post-operative pain or nerve damage pain associated with chemotherapy or radiation therapy. Or it can be unrelated to the cancer or its treatment, for example, arthritis or rheumatism or low back pain. So you can have a combination of, of different types of pain, and each needs to be sorted out. 
Acute pain is short-lasting. It can be very severe, and it's usually a sign that the body tissue is being injured or, or there's pressure on a pain-sensitive structure. An uh, example might be uh, if you have a surgery and that post-operative pain would be one example. Another example might be abdominal cramps, which go away after you have a bowel movement. It generally disappears after healing takes place or the pressure on the pain-sensitive structure is relieved. Chronic pain is different. Uh, it's persistent pain, and it usually lasts longer than three months. It doesn't serve any useful purpose. It stresses the body, and it needs to be treated. Um, there are other types of pain, too, and um, an example is breakthrough pain. So you can have this chronic pain, and then you have these episodes of acute pain that break through on that chronic pain, which maybe uh, has been reasonably well controlled. This um, breakthrough pain, as we call it, can be associated with a particular thing that you're doing. You may be moving from one position to another. You may be getting up from bed and start walking around. Um, you may be having a very difficult bowel movement. All of these can cause instant pain, so you know what's, what's causing it. There can also be episodes of, episodes of spontaneous pain so that you don't know what's causing the pain. It comes on, it doesn't last very long, and it goes away. And it may only happen once or twice. And very importantly, there's a third type of pain, breakthrough pain, called end-of-dose failure, so that you may have chronic pain. You're on a 12-hour regimen of a pain management approach, and the pain is very well controlled for the first eight hours, but on the ninth, tenth, or eleventh hour, your pain starts increasing in severity. And that information is very important to know because your pain medication regimen would be adjusted accordingly. One other type of pain I want to mention is neuropathic pain, nerve damage pain. And that's caused by injury or compression of peripheral nerves or the central nervous system. Neuropathic pain is not uncommon following chemotherapy. Communication is really the first step in pain management and your doctor and nurse will ask you detailed questions about your pain and pattern of pain in order to understand the type of pain that you have so that it could be treated appropriately. So that understanding the type of pain, giving you a pain diagnosis, will very much direct the sort of treatment that you'll have. These are the questions that, that uh, you'll probably be asked. Where is your pain? Or if you have different sites of pain, you may be given a body chart just to mark off where the different sites of pain are. What does the pain feel like? Sharp, shooting, electric shock. For example, those word descriptors often indicate that you have sort of neuropathic pain, some sort of nerve damage pain. How bad is the pain now at its best or at its worst? And you can use a 0 to 10 scale, 0 no pain, 10 the worst pain you can imagine, or word descriptors like mild, moderate, or severe. You'll also be asked how the pain affects your ability to sleep, to work, your mood, so general quality of life. Uh, another question is, what makes the pain better or worse? So are you, is the pain better when you're up and walking around, but worse than when you're lying in bed? And what's the pattern of the pain? Is it worse in the morning uh, or better in the morning at worse at night when you've done a lot during the day and you're pretty tired? So these are all very important questions because they'll affect how your pain is going to be treated. Uh, if you're already on some sort of treatment for, for managing your pain, you'll be asked how well is treatment working? Are there any side effects from the pain treatment? And are you satisfied with the level of pain relief? Often if you have chronic ongoing pain, the pain relief won't go down to a level zero, but uh, you're asked what level of pain can we target for, level two or level three, and that's what we're focusing on. What other things do you do to manage your pain, like relaxation, imagery, and has the pain changed? So you may have had pain last week, but the pain you're having today is very different from your old familiar pain. A lot of questions that you'll be asked and a lot of things to keep track of. And a good way to do that is to, um, to keep a pain diary. Um, other uh, uh, information that will be gathered so that you have a better understanding of the cause of your pain is there may be different tests or scans ordered. And your medical team will put all of this information together within the context of your cancer history and treatment, as well as any other relevant uh, medical history or chronic pain syndromes. And putting all of this information together will help arise at a, a pain um, diagnosis. So it's very much pain management is very much a team approach 
physicians, nurses, social worker, physical therapist, a pharmacist, and other people who are important for you and for your specific needs. Um, but very importantly, you and your family are a critical part of the team. Um, you're the expert on the experience of pain. The person who's experiencing is the expert. We're, our expertise is trying to sort out the cause of the pain and then to arrive at management approaches with you. But you are an essential part of, the, of that pain team because you give us information uh, that helps us arrive at the pain diagnosis. So all of us need to speak the same language. So the language that I was giving you is the language that your medical team will understand. There are various uh, approaches to pain management. Um, it may be treating the cause of the pain whenever possible, and that might be shrinking the tumor through radiation therapy, chemotherapy, or surgery. At the same time, treating the pain itself through analgesics, and there are a variety of, of pain medicines that will be used or might be used, opioids, adjuvant drugs such as anticonvulsants or antidepressants, some of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, and uh, perhaps nerve blocks or acupuncture. So depending, again, on the pain diagnosis and the cause of the pain, uh, the management approach will vary. Uh, other treatments um, can be relaxation, imagery, massage, uh, vibration, uh, pressure, nerve stimulation, distraction, heat and cold. Physical therapy, extremely important. And it may be necessary, if you have got a very a painful limb, to brace that painful part. But remember that if you're if you're undergoing cancer treatment and having pain, the pain should be controlled at the same time as the cancer is being treated. It's not one or the other. It's both together. And again, assessment is the very first part of pain management. A couple of myths I just want to go over with you. The first myth is that uh, pain means that the cancer is growing. That's not so. Uh, pain is not necessarily a sign that uh, cancer is present or is growing. Pain can occur at any stage of the disease and for many reasons, so it doesn't mean that you have advanced disease, and it may occur in people who have stable disease or indeed have been cured of their cancer. Um, again, another myth is that focusing on the pain will distract my doctor from focusing on my cancer therapy. Not so. Pain treatment and cancer therapy need to happen together. And if, you're, if you have a lot of pain which is not being treated adequately, it can often be, make it impossible for you to tolerate necessary tests. Um, and I had an example of that in a patient um, yesterday who was unable to lie down to undergo an MRI scan, a scan because the pain was so severe. So it needed, we needed to know that in advance so necessary steps could be taken so this woman was adequately treated for pain or sedated prior to the test. So preemptive planning is really important. But we wouldn't have known that if the patient hadn't spoken up. And remember that untreated pain can exhaust the body and also the spirit of the person. Another myth is that pain medication will lead to addiction. Pain people without a history of drug abuse who take medication as prescribed by their physician or nurse practitioner, it's not usual or likely that they'll become addicted to these drugs. But if you have a history of drug dependency and then develop a pain syndrome, it's really important that you share this information with your doctor or nurse practitioner so they can put uh, together a pain management regimen that will work for you. So it's very important we know that information so we can tailor uh, a pain management approach that will work for you. Another myth is that taking pain medication early on will prevent it working later if I develop really bad pain. That's not so. Keeping pain under control throughout the course of a disease or a pain syndrome is really important and makes it easier uh, uh, to manage. Um, pain medication can be increased if the level of your pain increases, and there's no one right dose for everyone. The right dose is the right dose that works for you, and it may be large or it may be small. Um, uh, Certainly, pain medication can cause unpleasant side effects, but they can be controlled, and Dr. Fleischmann will be addressing that later in this call. Um, if you have prescribed uh, methadone for your pain, it doesn't mean that you're addicted or people think you're addicted. It's a very useful medication for some uh, pain uh, syndromes. So um, it's a little bit more complicated than other uh, opioid drugs to manage, but it's extremely useful medication. Um, the medications that we use very commonly are morphine, hydromorphone, fentanyl, oxycodone, and methadone, and we use these in a variety of ways. Adjuvant uh, medications are really drugs which were 
were um, developed for something other than pain, but they've been found to be very useful in pain syndromes. And again, examples would be antidepressants and anticonvulsants, both of which can be very useful uh, for um, nerve damage type pain and are sometimes used uh, independently, but sometimes used in combination with an opioid drug. Um, Aspirin-like medications can be used for um, pain with an inflammatory uh, component, and other medications like steroids uh, can be used for a limited period of time, or local anesthetic patches can also be used, particularly for neuropathic pain. The four A's of pain management that your uh, physician and nurse will follow are analgesic effects, so how effective the pain management approach is for you, activities of daily living, are you now able to do more things because your pain is, is better controlled, what are the adverse side effects, and if we know those, we'll help you to uh, control them. And then uh, the fourth is aberrant behavior, so that if you're using the drugs in a way that you're not being prescribed, we'll quickly become aware of that and, um, and then uh, talk with you about it to try and find out what the cause of this is. So to keep track of things, um, it's important that you uh, keep a daily log uh, or diary with your medication schedule, your level of pain before and one hour after you take the medication if it's oral, your pain at its best, its worst on average, and what other things you do to make your, uh, manage your pain. What makes it better? What makes it worse? And examples might be if you're stressed out, uh, if you're constipated, your pain may increase. What your activities are, uh, side effects of the medications that concern you, and any other issues, for example, financial issues. Uh, are you financially really stressed and it's difficult for you to buy the pain medications because of the co-payment? All of those things we need to know so that we can help you with those. Uh, and extremely important is you know who to call if you have um, an escalating, uh, escalation of your pain before you, uh, you're due for your next clinic uh, appointment. Remember what I said, that the meaning of pain can really impact your pain experience. So some questions to ask yourself, what do you think is causing the pain? What do I say my, to myself when I'm experiencing the pain? Do I say, this is terrible, it means my disease is getting worse, the pain is going wor getting worse? Or do I let a stop sign come up and say, stop, I've had this pain before, I know what's causing the pain, and I need to do A, B, and C? Uh, other questions to ask yourself, who do I turn if I need help? Am I getting the help that I needed? Who is there for me? Who is there for my family? So in summary, the person who's experiencing the pain is the expert, that's you. Doctors, nurses, and other members of the pain team are the experts in sorting out the causes of the pain and will work with you on arriving at a successful management approach. Developing a common language on how to talk about your pain is essential so that you and your physicians and nurses and other members of the team are talking the same language and understand each other. And don't assume that your doctor and nurse know what's happening to you unless you tell them. So thank you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Quill. That was very, very comprehensive, really outstanding um, presentation and really covering a lot of the different areas that people have questions about. And, uh, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Lisa Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a pharmacist, and she is a clinical pharmacy specialist in oncology, Kaiser Permanente, Colorado. And uh, Dr. Thompson is going to address the role of a pharmacist in cancer pain management, prescriptions and refills, and planning for vacations, holidays, and weekends. And she's also going to address issues around low vision and easy open um, uh, uh, bottles for medicine. And I'm going to now turn this program over to Dr. Thompson. Thank you. To best manage your pain, it is important to stay on schedule with your pain medicines. I want to spend some time today discussing ways to do that and then also discuss some ways that your pharmacist can help you to manage your pain. Planning ahead is very important when refilling your pain medicine. Your pharmacy may not routinely stock your exact strength of your pain medicine or they may not have enough in stock to fill your entire prescription. It can sometimes take a couple of days to get the medicine in once it's been ordered so it's best to give your pharmacy at least a two to three day notice, just a little heads up um, when you're getting ready to need to refill your medicine. Related to that, some pain medicines cannot be refilled, which means that you need to get a new paper copy of the prescription from your doctor every time that you need more medicine. If you need a new prescription from your doctor before getting a refill, you should try to give them a couple of days notice as well. 
This is in case your doctor is out of town or if he or she needs to order any lab tests or maybe see you for a visit to talk about your pain like Dr. Coyle described uh, before they refill your medicine. I also want to talk about planning ahead for travel. When you're planning your trip, be sure to also plan ahead for your medicine. Make sure you have more than enough medicine with you to last for at least a few days beyond your trip in case your return gets delayed due to weather or some other circumstances. If it looks like you'll run out of your pain medicine while you're out of town, be sure to ask your doctor for a paper prescription for the pain medicine before you leave. Many pain medicines cannot be phoned into a pharmacy, um, so they'll need to have that paper copy in order to get it filled at your different location. When you're traveling by car, be sure to keep your medicine at the right temperature. Don't leave your medicine in the car or in the glove compartment, even if you think you'll only be gone for a few minutes. Cars can get very hot very quickly in the summertime, and some medicines can melt. Even if the medicine appears normal, the drug molecules may be damaged by the heat, and they might not work as well for your pain or your other conditions. I always recommend keeping your medicine in a purse or in another small bag that you plan to keep with you whenever you're traveling. When you're traveling by air, be sure to keep your medicine with you in one of your carry-on bags. Checked baggage gets exposed to extremely hot and extremely cold temperature changes during flights, and this may damage the medicine. Because checked baggage may also be more likely to get lost, and it's not accessible if your flight gets delayed for a long time, Keeping your medicine in your carry-on ensures that it will be with you when you need it. Even if you use a pill organizer at home, when you're traveling, it's very important to keep your medicine in the original labeled bottle from the pharmacy. This is due to a few reasons. Um, primarily, this label has a lot of important information, including who your doctor is, what the medicine is, and that the medicine is for you and not for somebody else. This can be especially important when you're traveling internationally. If you are leaving the country, be sure to have a copy of your prescription with you. Ask your doctor to write the prescription using the generic name because brand names might be different in other countries. When you're traveling internationally, it's also very important to have enough medicine with you to last your full trip because certain medicines are not available in all countries. As we've mentioned before, it can be very important to take your pain medicine on schedule. When you're traveling across multiple time zones, this might make taking your medicine on schedule more difficult. When you're planning a trip that crosses more than one time zone, so a difference of more than one hour, be sure to talk with your doctor or your pharmacist first about the timing of your medicine. Depending on how far you're traveling, how many time zones you're crossing, and how long you'll be gone, they can recommend to you when to specifically take your medicine. And this can go for other medicines too, besides pain medicines. One other issue that comes up when people are traveling is that there are changes in their routine. For example, if you're in the habit of taking your medicine with a certain activity like leaving for work or eating breakfast or watching a certain television program, you might risk missing doses when you're on vacation and you're not doing your normal routine. It might be helpful to set an alarm to go off at the time that you should take your dose in order to remind you to take the medicine. I know when I go on vacation, it's a lot harder for me to remember my medicines on time, and setting a timer or an alarm can be really helpful. If you have a smartphone, there are also some apps that you can download and program to remind you or your loved one that it's time to take their medicine. Your pharmacist can also help with your pain management in some other ways. They can check for drug interactions that might affect how well your pain medicine works or might cause more side effects from your pain medicine. They can also advise you on what to do um, if these interactions occur and work with your doctor to manage them. Your pharmacist can also advise you on how to store your pain medicine in order to keep you and your family safe, and they can answer questions if, for example, your pain medicines change and you have some left over. They can help you identify ways to get rid of that extra pain medicine if you need to. Some over-the-counter medicines that are used for pain and other conditions might interact with your medicines. So if you need an over-the-counter medicine for um, any, any other thing that's going on, not just related to your pain, let your pharmacist know so they can help pick up on some of these interactions. Your pharmacist can also recommend over-the-counter products or other ways to help manage some of the side effects from pain medicines that Dr. Fleshman will discuss, um, one example being constipation. 
As mentioned before, your pharmacist can work with you as well. We need to go out of town to make sure that you have enough of your medicines. Some doctors and nurse practitioners might ask that you fill all of your pain medicines at one pharmacy. This helps um, your pain management team and your pharmacist communicate about how you're using your pain medicines, and this helps them better understand and manage your pain. For example, your doctor needs to know exactly how much pain medicine you're taking whenever they make an adjustment to your pain regimen. And if all of your pain medicines are filled at the same pharmacy, it can be a lot easier for your doctor to get that information when they need it. Your pharmacist may also be able to help with ways to make it easier to take your medicine if you have difficulty reading the bottle because of low vision. I know the font can be really small sometimes. Um, or if you have problems opening the, the prescription bottle because of arthritis, for example. Different pharmacies have different things they can do to help with those. For example, some pharmacies can use larger type or they have different caps that they can put on your bottle. So just ask your local pharmacy what they can do to help if you have um, either of these problems with your medicines. And before I close, I just want to remind you to keep an up-to-date list of all the medicines you take, including any vitamins, any supplements, other over-the-counter medicines like Tylenol or acetaminophen, um, and prescription medicines, including your pain medicine and the medicines you use to treat your cancer. Keep a copy of the list in your purse or in your wallet, and keep another copy somewhere safe in your home. Make sure your family members and other people helping you with your medicine have a copy of the list or know where to find your list. Take a copy with you every time you see any doctor or other healthcare providers like the doctor or eye doctor, for example, or a dentist, and be sure to keep track of any changes. Um, because many prescriptions and over-the-counter medicines can interact with prescribed medicines, it's very important that everyone knows about all of your medicines so we can keep you safe. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Thompson. That was wonderful. And I think for many of our callers on the call today, the role of their pharmacist has really been expanded by your presentation. And um, we hope that people will take really good um, advantage of and work with their pharmacists um, very closely um, with their prescriptions and the refills and um, all the information that they need. So thank you. And um, our next uh, speaker is, uh, is Dr. Fleischman. And Dr. Fleischman is a founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, Accreditation Surveyor, American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer. And Dr. Fleischman is going to address barriers to pain management, coping with side effects of pain management, including constipation, sleepiness, and nausea, and communicating with the healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It's now my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Fleischman. Yes, hello, everybody. Thank you for signing into this important call. Uh, pain is almost always the top concern that patients and families have when they find out that uh, someone in the family is being treated with cancer, and we'd like to get the best information out to as many people as possible. Um, one of the things that we see routinely in our practices is that people are afraid of taking an adequate amount of pain medicine. We hear so many stories in the news about um, people who misuse pain medicines. Um, often our patients um, use less than they're supposed to or space out the time between the uh, proper interval, and that often causes more pain rather than less. Um, many of the drugs uh, that we use have a certain period of time that they're at their peak performance, and the uh, instructions that you're given should mirror those times. Um, it's not simply a matter of waiting as long as possible and then taking another dose. So that seems to be uh, one of the most um, prevalent problems that we see as far as managing side effects. Um, it really requires working with your team, and that includes the doctor and the nurse and the social worker and the pharmacist who can really all explain the time intervals and how it's best to use the long-acting medicines and the short-acting medicines in concert so that your pain is best treated. Um, but even despite that, often we hear, I don't like taking this medicine because it makes me feel, and then uh, a variety of things, uh, constipated or nauseous or sleepy. And um, in, in this field, what we find that we're recommending is that we're recommending a second or third medicine to counteract the side effects of the first. That's counterintuitive for many people, especially 
people who think, I hate to take medicine. I never take an aspirin. I don't take anything. And now I'm asked to take not only lots of medicines, but medicines to counteract the side effects of the medicines. However, um, most people's experience finds that that system generally works. It's often time limited. And as treatment progresses, and especially when treatment is successful, many times a lot of the medicines can uh, be dropped out. So uh, as with that as a background, um, constipation is, is a problem with many of the pain medicines, particularly the opioid pain medicines that Dr. Coyle mentioned. It is expectable. And um, the way we approach it is to try to prevent it as much as possible. So depending upon the situation, we can use a variety of uh, commonly available things. And I like to start with the simple things and build up. Now, not each of these is for everybody, but um, your healthcare team can help you focus on which will help best. So if we, if we think of this as kind of a ladder, we're starting at the most basic at the bottom, fluid and fiber can be terribly helpful. <laughs> I know it sounds um, a bit unusual to think that fluid and fiber can be helpful, but it can be. Um, and that can be done through foods or through, um, through uh, fiber supplements. Also using some uh, mono, uh, monounsaturated oil, particularly olive oil or canola oil, um, can be helpful in food, and that seems to make um, the stool somewhat slippery on the outside. Um, the next step up would be things like stool softeners. Many people confuse these with laxatives. But stool softeners actually draw more water into the stool, so it is more pliable. And one needs to strain less when the stool comes out. If fluid and fiber and a little oil and the stool softeners don't work, we then wind up moving into the stronger medicines, which are um, more like laxatives. Um, there are some natural ones around. Prunes work really well, unless you're diabetic and you have to watch your sugar intake. Prune juice can work really well. The prunes actually have more fiber in it than the juice, which is great. Um, and then we can move into preparations um, like ara or um, uh, senna tea, senna cod, and then keep moving up the ladder to a variety of different preparations that, can, that are even stronger. Many of these are advertised in the United States on television. They're available without a prescription. Um, most of them draw water and bulk into the stool to make it easier to have a bowel movement. Uh, we generally um, are hard-pressed to recommend enemas as a source of help for constipation because um, during chemotherapy, you're subject to infection, subject to bleeding, depending upon your treatment regimen. And we don't want to do anything that's more irritating than helpful. So we try to stay away from uh, those, those procedures, as simple as they may be otherwise. But starting with the basics and preventing constipation seems to be the way to go. Um, as far as nausea goes, again, there are a variety of things that can be helpful. This is the side effect of the medicines. It's generally time limited. Sometimes um, it only happens with the first few doses. Sometimes it lingers. It depends upon the individual, their cancer, their treatment, and a whole host of other, um, of other things. Um, but the nausea medicines can be used. Some of them are the same medicines that we use during chemotherapy or radiation therapy for nausea. Um, because it's so politically controversial, um, marijuana products that are sold as prescription items, not the kind that are bought um, on a store, can be very helpful. They're clean. Um, they can be quite helpful. We, although I realize that um, medical marijuana is available in some states, there are tried and true preparations uh, that are, are consistent, um, that are sold as, uh, in pharmacies that can be helpful with um, no nausea that is kind of gnawing and is kind of there in the background all the time. Some of the antihistamines can be helpful. There are, are a number of things that can be helpful, but the nausea medicines can be used in conjunction with the pain medicines. Some of them are, are constipating, so again, it's juggling side effects, but your treatment team can really help you with all this and help you balance out the benefits as well as the burdens of taking so many extra medicines. Um, in sleepiness, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, the um, strong pain medicines, the opioid pain medicines can make one sleepy. They often make one sleepy. 
Um, we often see the warning on our medicines, you know, do not operate heavy machinery, do not drive when you take this medicine. In general, that's good advice, especially when you start to take a new medicine and the medicine has changed or the dose is increased. People who stay on medicines for a long period of time often um, can operate machinery safely, but that's an individual discussion between you, your family, and your doctors. It's hard to make real generalizations about that. Um, the sleepiness can also be handled with a variety of things, again, depending upon um, if your heart's good and your breathing situation. Good, strong, caffeinated drink <laughs> can be quite helpful in um, helping um, counteract some of the um, sleepiness that comes with many of these medicines. There are also prescription drugs, control drugs, but helpful tried and true drugs put to a clinical trial that can actually give energy during the day without cutting down on the pain medicines to the point of having pain again. So it, it, what, I guess what we're really asking is that uh, patients and families tell us about their pain. Uh, Dr. Coyle gave us some of the language uh, that we can use, but it's important, so important, uh, to tell us uh, what's happening because the usual socially acceptable response when we ask people, how are you, everybody tells us we're fine, and often it's a family member in the background who is making gestures to say that's not the case, and we really need to encourage people to communicate as best as possible with us. And that includes both the level of pain, the kind of pain it is, if there's any idea about when it happens, what makes it better, what makes it worse, those kinds of things can be extremely helpful to us. The other thing that is really helpful to us is um, tell us if you've had pain problems before the cancer, what kind of pain problems they were, and what kind of treatments you needed to, um, to treat the pain then, because it seems that people who use pain medicine in the past um, may need some higher doses of pain medicine as they get older and may get cancer pain. Doesn't mean that the medicine is ineffective. The medicines are still effective, but the doses need to be adjusted. Also, if there's a family or a personal history of substance abuse or serious depressions, that can also uh, affect the, the way the body uh, digests the pain medicines, and we need to get that information to be of the most helpful uh, most help, help to uh, any patient going through cancer and cancer treatment. The other part of communications is just to tell us what your day is like. Um, because if you're doing things uh, at particular times of the day that can elicit pain and you need to keep doing them, which we certainly would encourage people to be as functional during their treatments as possible, there is often a way to use a, a little burst of short-acting medicines before that activity so that you can continue the activity without having to give it up. So that the knowledge, in conclusion, the knowledge about the side effects is important. Knowing um, to trust your team and to have good, honest discussions about what, how much pain you have, what kind of pain it is, and how much medicine you're actually using, not what was prescribed. Knowing how to treat um, constipation, nausea, and sleepiness is important, and describing what life is like um, during treatment and, uh, and, and if there is pain so that we can best help everybody in the easiest way possible. I'll stop there. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really wonderful. And you covered a lot of the areas, the very important areas in terms of just everyone's quality of life on the call. So thank you. I know there will be questions for you as well during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Danielle Bayam, and Danielle is a dietitian at MD Anderson, and she is Senior Clinical Dietitian, Department of Clinical Nutrition, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, and she's going to address nutrition and hydration concerns as well as eating tips. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Ms. Bayam. Thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to be a part of this Supportive Care Series. Um, side effects from pain medications can vary from person to person. The common pain medication side effects that could impact your nutritional status include constipation, loss of appetite, nausea with or without vomiting. To help manage constipation, eat foods high in fiber. Fiber helps you have bowel movements by absorbing water, decreasing the amount of time stool is in the colon, and adding bulk to the stool. Aim for at least 25 grams of fiber per day. 
gradually increase your daily fiber intake and drink at least 8 to 10 cups of water daily to help relieve uh, potential gas and bloating associated with fiber intake. Before increasing your daily fiber intake, talk with your doctor first to be sure this is a safe approach for you. If you haven't had a bowel movement for several days, increasing dietary fiber may not be helpful at all and may make the situation worse. Some ways to increase your daily fiber intake include eating at least five servings of fruits and vegetables daily, especially those with skins or seeds such as apples, oranges, pears, squash, tomatoes, spinach, or berries. Choose whole grain breads with 100% whole wheat, rye, oats, or bran as the first or second ingredient. For packaged items such as cereals, uh, choose or whole wheat pasta or tortillas, look on the food label to make sure it has at least three grams of fiber per serving. For your side dishes, try having brown rice or wild rice or choose grains such as barley, oats, or quinoa instead of white rice or potatoes. Bake with whole wheat flour instead of white flour. Sprinkle wheat germ bran or bran on top of your favorite cereals or add it in yogurt, casseroles, or baked products. Beans are a great source of fiber. Beans and legumes uh, such as red beans, kidney beans, navy beans, lentils, black-eyed peas, you can add those to soups or casseroles to boost the fiber intake. Smart snack choices include raw fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, or popcorn. Some other things to help uh, relieve constipation include paying close attention to the timing of your meals. Try and eat about the same time each day. Try drinking a hot, non-caffeinated beverage after a meal. Room temperature or warm prune juice may also help stimulate a bowel movement. Regular moderate exercise, such as walking, can strengthen and stimulate the muscles to help move food and stool through the digestive system. Now on to some tips to help with nausea. Uh, just a note, constipation uh, can also cause nausea as well, so good bowel management is very, very important. But some things to help with nausea include um, eating small frequent meals and having a, a snack at bedtime. Keep crackers or soda at your bedside to nibble on before getting up if nausea is a problem in the morning. Drink clear liquids uh, served cold or sip slowly. Clear liquids are um, things you can see through such as ginger ale, apple juice, broth, or tea. Eat foods cold or at room temperature to decrease its smell and, um, and taste. Hot foods can aggravate nausea because of strong odors. Avoid fatty, fried, spicy, or very sweet foods. Blend soft foods that are easier to digest may be tolerated better if you're having nausea. Tart or sour foods may be easier to keep down as well. Eat sitting up and rest sitting up or reclined with your head raised for about an hour after eating to help prevent nausea. Drink beverages between meals instead of with a meal. Rinse your mouth out um, before and after eating. And avoid triggers whenever possible by recognizing times, foods, and smells, or even events that may trigger your, no your nausea. If the smell of food or cooking nauseates you, try to keep the room well ventilated or prepare meals that don't require cooking or ask others to cook your meals for you. Loss of appetite or poor appetite is also a common problem that occurs when taking pain medication. Again, small frequent meals um, may be better tolerated or may help you get the calories and protein that you need um, if you're having loss of appetite. Um, also, try and drink uh, liquids with calories um, to prevent weight loss, such as milk, smoothies, fruit or vegetable juice, sports drinks, hot chocolate. Foods that are liquid at room temperature um, also count towards your fluid requirement, but include ice cream, fruit, fruit ice, popsicles, or sorbets. Plan a daily menu in advance. Um, sometimes you don't want to think about what you have to eat, but every, if everything's planned out for you, you just 
pull it out and um, have it really quickly. Arrange for help in preparing meals. Um, also prepare and store small portions of your favorite foods and try and experiment with different foods. Some things that you didn't like before, some you might tolerate them now. So always try and be open um, to trying different things, but making sure that you eat and drink all the time throughout the day. So to summarize and helping manage side effects of pain medication, include foods high in fiber in your daily diet, drink plenty of fluids, eat small frequent meals or snacks um, to help manage side effects and, to, and also to help you maintain good nutrition and hydration while taking pain medication. Thank you. I'll end it there. Well, thank you very much, Danielle. That was really a very excellent presentation. And you really have a wonderful way of describing foods that people can eat and the choices so that people can really make those choices appropriately. So thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Glenn Muche. Glenn is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. Um, he is an oncology social work coordinator here at Cancer Care. And he's going to address the free psychosocial support services offered by Cancer Care, as well as the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Glenn. Thank you, Carolyn, and thank you, everyone else, for allowing me to be a part of this much-needed Connect Education workshop. Living with a cancer diagnosis can present an array of challenges to us which may feel overwhelming at times and impact our quality of life. Living with cancer pain may further exacerbate the stress and difficulty of living with a cancer diagnosis. There are, as we have heard this afternoon, many different techniques natural remedies and medications which can help us manage cancer pain. Yet, despite the advances made in controlling pain, there are several reasons why people may not be able to access and hence receive the pain management that is available to them. For instance, we may not know how or in what way we can begin the dialogue with our medical team about pain management. Sometimes we may have no idea of how to ask the right questions as it pertains to the management of cancer pain. The complexity of the healthcare system and network may present itself as an added burden and perhaps insurmountable hurdle to us as well. Uh, you are not alone, however, and support is available. A cancer care social worker can help you sort through the myriad of issues associated with the management of your cancer pain. I would like to reinforce that pain management is a quality of life issue, namely your quality of life. An oncology social worker can address any concerns, therefore, you may harbor surrounding your quality of life during this period. Social workers can offer guidance and suggestions, for instance, that would help you open doors and effectively communicate your needs to the medical team as it relates to your care. Cancer care social workers can also direct you to additional pain management resources to help foster your continued ability to cope with any pain-related issues which may emerge for you. The emotional component and face of a cancer diagnosis can frequently leave us feeling confused and experiencing a wide range of emotions. I cannot underestimate, therefore, the significance of individual counseling and support groups. Cancer Care offers free individual counseling and support by professional oncology social workers who can walk with you and provide a listening ear. Individual counseling and support, either on the telephone or face-to-face, -face, will afford you an opportunity to talk about your feelings and process what you may be experiencing. Through individual counseling and support, you will ensure your continued capacity to cope, cope and may perhaps even learn new coping strategies to help you adjust to the many twists and turns of the cancer experience. The social interaction offered by support groups can help diminish feelings of isolation and strengthen our ability to cope. Support groups provide a safe and supportive environment where we not only can share our story and experiences with others, but learn from those who may be experiencing similar feelings fears, and concerns as well. Support groups offer us a space where we can speak about our diagnosis, care, and the array of emotions we may be experiencing at this time. In Cancer Care's online telephone and face-to-face -face support groups, 
people can receive emotional support, insight, and camaraderie. Cancer care support groups are offered to patients, family members, and friends, caregivers, survivors, and the bereaved. To conclude, a cancer diagnosis can present an economic and financial burden at times as well. Financial assistance is available at Cancer Care. Cancer Care can help reduce the expenses associated with transportation to and from treatment, home care, child care, and in some instances for pain medications related to a person's cancer, treatment, and care. In addition to this, a cancer care social worker can also direct you to other resources in your community, such as the Patient Advocate Foundation, the Partnership for Prescription Assistance, and Needy Meds that may help lessen the financial weight of your care. I'll conclude there. Well, thank you very much, Glenn. That was a wonderful presentation and wonderful resources. And now we do have time for questions, and I'm going to ask um, uh, um, Kate to bring all of our speakers on board, and I'm going to um, then uh, ask Kate to explain to you how to queue up for questions. And I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Kate? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And our first question comes from the line of Emil S. Your line is open. As a cancer survivor, um, what is your opinion of medical marijuana to ease any pain? And do you recommend doing exercising when you're in pain? Uh, sometimes I do it, and it alleviates some of the pain. Well, Emil, thank you. For, good to have you on the call, and thank you for those two questions. Um, Dr. Uh, Coyle, would you like to address the question about the medical marijuana? Um, I'll pass that one. I'll, I'll actually address the question of, of the um, doing uh, exercises, which I think uh, rehabilitation and exercise regimen uh, can be enormously helpful, um, doing it on a regular basis. And I think you give an example of when you did um, uh, physical therapy or, or exercise, the pain decreased. So that, again, is a very uh, good hallmark. And uh, medical marijuana, I'll pass it over to Dr. Fleischman. Okay. Dr. Fleischman, would you address that question? Sure, I'll address both. Um, as far as uh, exercise, guided exercise and activity during treatment, the American Academy of Sports Medicine has recently come out with a white paper that advocates the use of properly guided exercise all the way through cancer treatment from the very, very time of diagnosis and on, and that's often best done uh, with a consultation from a physiatrist, a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist with physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, but under, um, uh, under proper guidance. Um, these benefits are almost always available uh, with insurance, um, and sometimes a referral is necessary. So speaking with your cancer treatment team about early intervention is a good idea. If that has not happened, and a, a physical medicine and rehabilitation consult at any point during treatment or after treatment can also uh, give quite a bit of relief in many, many ways. Um, and that's something people don't often think of until the period of survivorship, but it can, can and should happen at any time. And for people with very limited motion, uh, there are always things that can be done and needs to be particularly tailored to the individual and their cancer and their treatment and other illnesses or limitations they've had from beforehand. The medical marijuana issue is extraordinarily controversial, politically loaded, um, I was really talking about the, um, the prescription uh, drugs uh, with cannabinoids, uh, the active ingredient in marijuana that is available uh, through your doctors uh, and advanced practice nurses in a variety of places, in pretty all over the country. The medical marijuana issue, apart from the politics, may be something that's helpful. Um, uh, it, it's a really hard question to answer because there are so many personal feelings that go into the uh, um, availability of it. Um, but I, I would pr probably try to stick with the commercially available substances first and then find out exactly what the benefits are of medical marijuana in your community and the legality. And I can, I'm happy to weigh in on the medical yes, oh, please, marijuana yes. question as well. Um, I work in Colorado where we've had um, medical marijuana legislation for a while. Um, as far as its effectiveness in pain, there are not a lot of good studies looking at this, these products and saying that they're effective. 
in managing most types of pain. There are a few small studies with the burning, tingling nerve pain, um, but not even all of those have shown positive effects. So I think there are many better options for treatment of pain. Uh, just given the data that we have, medical marijuana doesn't look super promising for the management of pain right now. Um, and it's also important to remember that there are some risks as well with using marijuana, you know, particularly if you're smoking it, it can actually increase your risk of developing lung, ca uh, lung cancer because it does contain carcinogens. So um, just some other things to kind of keep in mind when you're discussing this with your healthcare team. And Dr. Fleischman, could you also address the fact that if it's not legal in your state and you're purchasing it, um, the risks of purchasing it just, um, that it's, it's not a commercial product, it's really um, the, some of the things, the bacteria, whatever it is, someone has low white cell counts and things like that? Well, I, I'm not sure of um, the actual control from state to state. I don't even know uh, if it's uniform from state to state or it varies. We've always discouraged people from using um, marijuana that they, that they would uh, grow themselves because even if you use brand new soil from a garden center and it's your own plant in your own clean pot um, from the garden center, there's bacteria all over growing things. And it may not be a good idea to introduce that bacteria at a time when your resistance is compromised. Um, these days with the, um, the larger production, I, I'm not sure of how, thing, how the products are tested and what the controls are, and I don't think that that is the same all over the country. So these are important things to ask your healthcare team and to really also be aware of other options that you can um, utilize. Thank you. Um, another question that's come in, I've really been about from some of our online participants, um, are about Reiki, Tai Chi, yoga, and um, uh, meditation. And I wondered um, if any of our students want to comment on that. Dr. Fleischman, do you want to comment on that? Just the use of these other um, acupuncture, these other methods of dealing with um, discomfort or pain. We actually didn't focus much on that because there's just a certain amount of time, and I, I know I speak quickly, but I can't speak. <laughs> than I do, um, non-pharmacologic interventions for pain are extraordinarily helpful to many people in many situations. Um, that would include things like acupuncture done by individuals who are really skilled in what they do, um, at massage, um, yoga, which some people have trouble with a, that a concept of yoga because of its spiritual connections, but it could be called uh, progressive relaxation and flexibility training. <laughs> there are a variety of ways to, to, to get the same things without the spiritual connotation for folks that are um, uncomfortable with that. Um, those modalities are, are generally available at accredited cancer centers across the country. Speaking with the folks who work at the cancer center, they often know exactly who's in the community, who is uh, familiar and sensitive to the special needs of people either who are undergoing treatment or have had treatment. Um, they're extremely helpful when used properly. I'll just weigh in on that also. Um, often they, they fall under the category of uh, integrative medicine and again can be enormously helpful for, for some people. Um, I think uh, uh, because of the, um, the understanding the nature of pain and the descending mechanisms of pain that can sometimes uh, controls certainly the affective uh, uh, component of pain when you're very worried about the cause of the pain and extremely stressed out and all of these things which can uh, make the, the pain, the severity of pain uh, worse, that they can be enormously helpful. So I think in times of, uh, that you know, for the individuals know that in times of stress they've used yoga or relaxation or imagery. Um, calling those strengths and using those tools again, tools again in this very um, specific way to manage pain or the stress associated uh, with ongoing pain and worry about the meaning of the pain uh, can be uh, hugely effective. But there's a whole science, uh, and um, at Sloan Kettering, there's a whole department of integrative medicine which really works specifically with, with these modalities and enormously helpful. And that's, and that's excellent. And many of your centers that you go to, many of the medical centers do offer um, in their integrative departments um, experts in this area. And very important, again, to speak to your treating team and to go to those people who are experts in those centers, um, in, in your own particular center where you're getting your care, um, so that um, it's all within the context of your own comprehensive care and your, own, your, your physician and your whole team understand what you're doing. 
Well, I want to thank, I, we could go on all afternoon, I know, but this has been an extraordinary group of speakers. I have to say I want to thank you. What a wonderful multidisciplinary team that you see in action here. I want to thank each of you. I want to thank all of you who've asked such really great questions, um, who've helped to expand the call, and all of you also who are listening. I want to remind you that this is a one-hour program and that we know that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. So I want to remind you of contacting Cancer Care. If you have any questions that you didn't get to ask or any concerns you may have, um, our, our 800 number is 1-800-813-HOPE. Um, please do contact our oncology social work staff for here. I'm happy to answer your questions and be of help to you. Most importantly, as we conclude the call today, I don't want anyone to think that you're alone in coping with, uh, with a cancer, with cancer pain. I want you to know that you are now a part of this uh, of the Cancer Cares community, and we want you to know that you can contact us. We are here to help you. And um, so uh, please do take advantage of that service that we have. And, um, and again, um, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.